expanded on one of the criteria for mayors of disability classes. Today is uh, March 18, 2022, um, public meeting. Um, Thank this with the welcome and welcome, Okay, this meeting is broadcast to the public on SFGov TV. It is open captioned and sign language interpreted. The Mayor's Disability Council holds nine public meetings yearly. They are generally held on the third Friday of the month. Please call the Mayor's Office on Disability for further information or to request accommodations at 415-554-6789 for voice or by email at mod at sfgov org. Our next regular meeting will be on Friday, April 15th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And at this time, I would like to address um, what happened from last meeting. And I would ask the clerk to read um, the statement, please. Okay, so I'm reading the statement on behalf of Alex, uh, co-chair Madrid. It says, as co-chair, I would like to address the issue of civility during MDC meetings. Disagreement will always play a role in government. The key is to focus on the strengths and weaknesses of proposed solutions to community problems, not to engage in personal attacks against those who favor different solutions. We live in a city with diverse perspectives in meetings, it is beneficial to hear all of these differing points of view while keeping the best interest of our community in mind. Everyone's right to have their view heard is a central democratic value. MDC members pledge to treat each other and members of the public with respect, and we expect the same from the public. We thank you for joining us. Thank you for that. Now, can you please read the roll call? Okay. Um, for roll call, we have Alex Madrid. Here. Orchid Sassuni. Here. Denise, Denise Senhow. Tiffany Yu. Present. Helen Smolinski. Present. Deshaun Lewis Woods. Present. Ananya Tandon Verma. And that's it for roll call. Thank you. Now we are going to item number two. I should item reading an approval of undead. Can you please read the undead, please? Okay, for the agenda, we have item one, which is welcome and roll call. We have item two is reading and approval of the agenda. Item three is public comment. Item four is an information item, is the co-chair report. Item five is an information item called Keep Us Connected 2022 campaign 
and Empowered SF Tech Needs Assessment, the presentation by uh, Marie Jobling and Carla Sumala from the San Francisco Tech Council and Dignity Fund Coalition. Item six is uh, updates on the Disability Cultural Center and the Dignity Fund with presentations by Kelly Dearman from the Department of uh, Disability and Aging Services. Item seven is a report from the Mayor's Office on Disability. Item eight is correspondence. Item nine is public comment. Item 10 is a discussion item with council member comments and announcements. And item 11 is adjournment. And that's all for the agenda. Council Member Bridget, I think you're muted. Sorry about that. Are there any council members questions or comments about Angela? Just uh, yeah, if you approve the Angela. Orchid, I approve. I. Tiffany, I approve. Second? I second. Thank you. Um, public comment. Thank you, for can you please open the building for general public comments? Yes. So we welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There'll be an opportunity for public comment at the beginning and the end of the meeting, as well as after specific items on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes, although comments may be limited to two minutes when there's a long queue of people waiting to make comments. At the end of the comment period, we will move on to the next commenter. If you want the council to respond to your comments following the meeting, please provide your com contact information by email message to mod at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request. You may also provide additional comments by email to this address or by calling 415-554-6789. Members of the public can join the meeting as a Zoom webinar participant and will be able to make public comment during the public comment periods. Members of the public can join the webinar by using the link provided in the agenda. Uh, to join the webinar using a telephone, you can dial 669 9006833 and the webinar ID is 8541955036. If you join the webinar using your computer or tablet or smartphone Zoom app, you can click on the raise hand icon uh, and you'll be recognized when it's your turn to make public comment. You can also use the Q&A feature in Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box and the clerk will read it for you. If you join by phone, dial star 9 when you want to be recognized 
and you'll be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. We welcome suggestions about how to make the MDC meetings more accessible. Please send feedback uh, by email to mod at sfgov.org. If you need assistance accessing the meeting, please call 415-919-9562 or send an email to mod at sfgov.org. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on this meeting agenda. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. So with that announcement, um, I do see that we have at least one member of the public who have indicated that they want to make public comment. All right. Uh, per Patricia, you've been permitted to unmute. Yes, um, can you hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, convey to the Mayor's Disability Council how disappointed I was and disheartened that you decided to ignore an almost unanimous uh, response from the public at your last meeting about the closure of JFK um, when you came out in favor of permanent closure of that mile and a half stretch of JFK. Um, I, I really feel you're letting down a significant number of members, residents, and taxpayers, and voters of uh, San Francisco, people like me, uh, I'm disabled. It's very difficult for me to walk. I have a uh, muscle disease uh, that's uh, incurable and progressive. Uh, I fatigue very easily. Uh, I'm in fear of falling down. I have to be extremely careful and I walk with a rollator. Uh, the best and safest manner for people like me to go to the park and enjoy the attractions along that uh, length of JFK is in a private car with someone. Uh, I don't see why we can't compromise instead of giving everything to the bike coalition that they want and these people uh, harass and intimidate pedestrians all the time. And the letter that your, I think your attorney wrote about how AD, ADA uh, laws do not apply in this case, I think that's rather twisted logic and can be easily refuted because there is still parking in Golden Gate Park. Able-bodied people just have to walk a little further, but they can still park in the park. Disabled people can't walk a mile to get to the muse uh, museum. Uh, they can't all park in the muse museum parking garage because it's too expensive. It's like a disability tax. So I just want to let you know 
that I really think you dropped the ball and for a disability council, it makes me wonder if you're really taking into account uh, the people that you're supposed to support and uh, represent. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? Yes. Uh, Anon, you've been permitted to unmute. Hi, I'm a civil rights activist and disability activist in San Francisco, and I publish videos of corruption and ethical misconduct on YouTube under activism and disability in San Francisco. Uh, the previous comment, I think, speaks to the widespread public opinion that this council and the mayor's office on disability have not supported and served the disabled public uh, during the pandemic, especially, and for some time before as well. Uh, Alex Madrid and Orchid Suzani actually demanded that I stopped emailing them, asking them questions about vaccine access or uh, why these meetings were being canceled and rescheduled. For the first seven months of the pandemic, these meetings were not even held. And actually, uh, back in May in 2020, there was uh, a deletion of the public record of the emergency town hall meeting on COVID response. That, that uh, deletion of that record made it impossible for me to, to track and find out where uh, life-saving PPE could be administered and supported. Uh, and in fact, the website last I checked was still saying that there was PPE available for disabled people uh, when there actually is not. Uh, that website, by the way, is a complete inspiration porn website. It's disgusting and a vast misrepresentation of what this city has done or lack thereof for disabled people. I tried three different devices yesterday and could not even access the COVID-19 data off the San Francisco Gov website because the Mayor's Office on Disability and MDC doesn't even bother to check such things to make sure that they are accessible to the disabled public. Uh, despite numerous, numerous requests, MDC and MOD refuse to work with the city to publish the home vaccine program to let severely disabled people know that there is a vaccine program program that you can actually access through your home. They refuse to publish this. I have no idea why. Um, that program was many months late. As a result, I became one of the last people to actually get a vaccine and uh, one of the last people to uh, get any kind of support uh, around the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, additionally, this depart uh, the, the Mayor's Office on Disability was found guilty uh, of breaking the law and refusing to release my own disability records and lack thereof um, by the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force. Uh, they were found completely guilty uh, by unanimous vote of 10 uh, commissioners. And I think that speaks to the incompetence of the Mayor's Office on Disability right now and the incompetence of the Mayor's Disability Council. Please do better. Please make sure that people can access COVID-19 data. Please publish the home vaccine program. Please respond to emails about these issues and please keep these meetings active and please let us video participate in these meetings just like we would be able to were this actually in person. There's no reason for you to force us to have our cameras off. That's it for my time. Um, thank you for coming. Um, how many do we have to take for public comment? 
It appears that we have one more caller who wants to make public comment. Okay. If we have more, we're going to ask public comment from three minutes to two minutes. Okay. So caller ending in 1003, you've been permitted to unmute. Hello, uh, my name is Will Railing. I am, uh, and I have three minutes, correct? Um, yes. Uh, speaking for, um, I'm speaking for Accessible San Francisco. Accessible San Francisco is an unincorporated nonprofit association. I appreciate these general comment times as an opportunity to speak to you about things which are important for accessibility in San Francisco, but which might not be the worst thing that's happening in the city right now. They're, there are so many things going on at any given time, so many different opportunities to improve accessibility in our community. And the most important of these is often on your agenda, like today as full agenda items and for good reason. Uh, but I appreciate these general public comment times as opportunities to remind you of issues and problems, which aren't one of the major things agendized for today. So uh, today I want to give a short update on the shared spaces program. Shared Spaces is the program which has allowed thousands of additional businesses to use the streets and sidewalks uh, beyond what was allowed before. Uh, now, this week on Tuesday, two days ago, three days ago, the Board of Supervisors approved an ordinance which will eliminate any fines for violations by the Shared Spaces operators until 2023. Now, it's very important to note that this will not apply to accessibility violations. Accessibility violations are not deferred. I do want to thank Supervisor Peskin for putting that exception into the legislation that he proposed. Uh, for that reason, we did not think there was any reason to oppose the legislation. The city did not decide as a matter of law that accessibility violations by shared spaces operators uh, can continue. Uh, now, that said, unfortunately, as a practical matter, the barriers in the shared spaces program are being allowed to continue. I want to make sure you are all aware of that, although I think you probably are all aware of that because any of us, as we go anywhere uh, in the city where there are shared spaces in operation, can't help but notice how many of them are not accessible. A great many do not even attempt to provide an accessible table for dining or drinking. Even when an accessible table is attempted, the accessible table often does not actually comply with the code standards which determine compliance. Many shared spaces, uh, especially the ones constructed of wood at the curb, have barriers right at the entrance, either a full step, an inch or two uh, high of a lip, uh, or no ramp at all. Uh, with no ramp at all, or there is an attempt at a ramp, but one has been built which would not even be safe to use, much less compliant with accessibility standards. So we're concerned that many of these have been built more than a year and a half ago, and still these uh, restaurants and bars continue to discriminate against people with disabilities. There's no exception to accessibility for a one-day street fair or event in a park. Many of these have now discriminated for 500 days in a row and counting. And we don't see any legitimacy for the bureaucratic type responses 
we're hearing such as, uh, you know, we don't have the resources to stop this discrimination, we're, we're working on it, or, or that somehow it is okay to provide this, food and beverages to customers in other ways. Okay, uh, these, are public these are public accommodations and they must be made accessible. There's no excuse, thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any public comment at this time? Uh, there are no other public commenters at this time. Thank you. Uh, before I proceed to culture uh, report, uh, um, I want to acknowledge um, Commissioner Bigney. She is a member of the Department of Disability and Aging Services Commission, the vice president of in-home support services, public authority governor, governing board, and a member of San Francisco MTA Citizen Advisory Council. Thank you, Sasha, for coming to us and seeing you. Now, um, um, thank you for helping me, and I hope that we can collaborate in the future. Thank you. Now, um, I would ask um, the clerk to read the um, the question report. Okay. Uh, for the co-chair report, we have since the February meeting, the MDC adopted a resolution about the proposed closure of JFK Drive in Golden Gate Park. It can be found at the MDC website under resolutions. The resolution was sent to the mayor, the MTA board, and the Recreation and Parks Commission, Director Tumlin and Director Ginsburg. The resolution was referred to by MTA board members, recreation and parks commissioners, and public commenters during their joint meeting on March 10th. Since then, the MDC has been asked uh, by Director Ginsburg and the Supervisor Connie Chan to provide additional feedback and the specifics about the specifics of the resolution, and the MDC will continue to actively address this matter. And I just want to add to that that um, as a, a member of a home support services public authority liaison to mayors of disability council, I am going to, I, I have scheduled to go to Board of Supervisors on Monday to be appointed for another um, two years, I believe. With that, I would ask okay, my co-chair if she has any culture report additional to this report. This is Orchid. Um, I just want to make sure, uh, I'm not sure if it was mentioned 
at the previous meeting. I know the previous meeting went quite long. And I just want to remind folks to please uh, be honor, to please honor Bob Planthold who passed away. Um, I don't have anything else on the report, but I just uh, know that our February meeting was quite intense um, in the discussion of the Golden Gate Park access. It was quite a hot topic. So uh, now that our resolution has been created, um, there are in, indeed other um, items within that that you can review. And that doesn't mean anything um, to be opposed or in support of, mostly just items for the public to review and hopes that we can work together successfully and keep Golden Gate Park accessible for all. And that's it for me, no further report. Thank you, Alfred. Um, now we are moving along to item number five, which is keeping us connected 2022 campaign and empowered SF Tech Needs Assessment, presented by Maria Dublin and Clara Tumala, Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. I think Carla will uh, get us started here today. Great. Thank you very is. much for having us. We are so delighted to be here. Um, my name is Carla Sumla. I'm here with Marie Jobling. Um, she's the co-chair of the um, Dignity Fund Coalition and the co-executive director at Community Living Campaign. We're also joined by Cecile Piritz, who is the lead author on the report I'm going to be talking about today. And she, um, these days, <laughs> um, is the assistant director of disability <clears throat> access and inclusion with the UCSF Office of Diversity and Outreach. Um, and so she will be here to field questions once I kind of go over the materials on the report. And so this, uh, we will go ahead and get started. Um, am I allowed to pull up the slides or um, would you prefer to do, uh, can you enable me to do that? Why don't you try it if you can, if not, we can proceed from our end. Okay. Um, I believe John has that slide deck. One moment. Right. I can share the screen. Oh, perfect. I'll pull it up right now. Got it. All right. Um, and I will make sure that we, everybody can see my screen here. All right. And can you all see my screen? Is that um, available to you? And you need to go to slideshow. Yep. I'm just trying to move the things around to get me there. <laughs> There we go. Perfect. Thank you. All right. 
So thank you everyone. This is um, the 2021 findings and policy recommendations from the Empowered San Francisco Tech Needs Assessment Survey. And as I mentioned, this was conducted by Cecile Pertz um, when she was working with Thriving in Place and she will be able to answer further questions. This was also done in collaboration and for the Mayor's Office on Disability, as well as for the Department of Disability and Aging Services. And we appreciate all of their efforts. There are many, many, many more people, as Cecile would say, that need to be thanked, but we won't go into all of that today. We'll provide the website where you can see all of the collaborators there. Carla, yes, Chair, could you speak more slowly, sure. please? Sure, for definitely. The purposes of interpreting and uh, for our audience watching on TV. Perfect. All right. Thank so you. as I as I said, um, Marie Jobling and I are here today and we'll go over um, the key findings and recommendations from this report. Why is this report so important? First of all, I would like to say that it is hot off the press. It's recent and it's relevant and it points to the key needs that emerged in um, the disability community in particular and among older adults during the pandemic. And it also provides us with some of the data that we need to really continue to advance um, uh, digital inclusion for older adults and people with disabilities. This uh, uh, PowerPoint will be made available to you where you can find a PDF report and you can also find a summary on the website as well as all of the raw data. So there's a lot of information that goes along with this. These links are live. So why is this issue so urgent? It's probably not something that you need to be convinced of today, but technology connects us with our health providers with food, with housing, employment, family and friends. This has never been more so than during the pandemic, um, which we are still struggling with. Without devices, um, internet access, assistive or adaptive technologies and digital literacy to support, so many people are left behind. What we've also learned is that um, this increases without these connections, um, it increases social isolation and loneliness and barriers to telehealth are a public health issue. The methodology on for this report, this is a very, very brief overview. A total of 3,080 surveys were collected uh, a year ago this spring. They were conducted in a number of different modes, print, phone, digital, in-person, and braille. What the survey, what the study results are based on, however, is the survey pool of 1,529 participants with San Francisco zip codes. The other people who filled it out were not in that, in a SF zip code. The approach was community driven and involved participation on the part of those who were surveyed, including in focus groups. A couple of different things. Uh, I will point out a few highlights here in terms of age and di disability demographics. 
55% of the survey respondents were older adults, 60 and over, 9% were transition aged youth. By disability, you can see on your screen, and some of these, I will not be able to go through everything, but the top five disabilities indicated by participants surveyed, mobility disabilities, chronic pain, deaf or hard of hearing, mental health, and blind or low vision. In terms of income and language demographics, 70% of the participants are from communities of color. 33% have household incomes of less than $20,000. And the top five languages include English, Cantonese, American Sign Language, Spanish, and Mandarin. In terms of housing and veteran um, status, about 88% of the those surveyed lived are housed in either apartment, rentals, affordable housing, living with friends or family, supporting housing or SRO hotels. About 5% of the respondents were experiencing homelessness. In terms of veteran stand, status, a very good sampling, 23% are veterans. These are the top 10 zip codes. We won't go through um, all of them today, um, but you will be able to look these up. 9%, the highest number came from Western Edition, Tenderloin, Hayes, Mid-Market. Um, and um, as you can see, go to many of the neighborhoods um, in the city that do often lack access. So the key research questions, what were um, the researchers trying to discover with this report? They wanted to know what are the tech barriers and unmet needs of San Francisco residents with disabilities, older adults, and multiply marginalized, marginalized communities that have been most in, impacted during COVID-19. The next question is, um, let me move my, what are the links between digital inequality and income, race, ethnicity, disability, age, language, housing, veteran status, and patterns of digital redlining? What are the opportunities for targeted and strategic interventions to increase levels of digital connectedness? So some of this was discovering what the barriers were, what the links are, and where the opportunities are. So during the pandemic, this is a broad overview, 64% of the participants said that technology was a barrier to receiving vital services. An interesting aside to this is though the data indicated um, that there wasn't as much need for devices or internet access as perhaps they had anticipated, um, but, the, but technology itself was uh, critical. So what were the top five barriers to internet access? Um, the top was the unaffordable cost of high speed internet. So in other words, reliable internet that allows a person to go online and to conduct a telehealth visit or to do other kinds of important um, business. Um, the cost of devices, um, insufficient smartphone data was yet another one unreliable internet connections and concerns about safety. 
and security online. So where were people getting, um, were accessing the internet in the, those who were surveyed? Top sources include paid broadband internet and public Wi-Fi hotspots smartphone data internet or smartphone internet data plans um, were the third. So this is really, really interesting. <clears throat> what were the top five service needs that people indicated? Health, food, housing assistance, COVID information, and computer literacy training, which is really um, um, important concerning it made it into that top five. What we also learned is that getting medical or receiving medical services through telehealth was both vital and challenging. 67% of respondents reported receiving medical services through telehealth, um, but 57% reported missing important medical appointments, um, either not able to do um, telehealth or get to their um, medical care centers. This was particularly um, urgent in the Latinx older adult community where 50% reported not using um, internet or not being able to use telehealth. So what were the top five barriers to accessing telehealth services? Lack of devices, affordability, again, training, the need for assistive or adaptive technologies, things like screen readers um, and all the things that come along with that to make a connection meaningful and um, possible and language access. We learned also that public computer labs were essential. I won't go into all of the um, data here, but before the pandemic, of the vast majority of those in the transition-aged youth, people residing in, um, I'm sorry about that, um, in uh, assisted living or experiencing homelessness, and 82% of um, veterans got their internet access at these public um, hubs. So libraries, community centers, that sort of thing. Most of these, actually all of these things <laughs> closed down during uh, the pandemic. Another thing that we learned is that free or low cost tech assistive technology and training is critical. And so all of these kinds of things, the, what were the, those top needs? Low cost AT was on primary need training on what was available and how to use it, all right? Um, were the next two, and finally access to free or low cost repairs. And this um, need for AT was greater among the, the older adults, people with chronic pain or a mental health disability, low income, SRO residents, Black, Latinx, AAPI communities, and those who are monolingual. Now, what came out of this report in terms of recommendations? Um, what needs to happen? The first is expand free or low cost digital connectivity um, to residents with disabilities and older adults. Absolutely necessary. There are a couple of different ways, uh, things that need to happen. This is not a simple <laughs> uh, recommendation and there are different aspects of it from expanding fiber to housing pipelines, creating digital navigator hubs, 
um, and developing stronger outreach channels. Another recommendation is to pilot initiatives aimed at lowering barriers to telehealth access. Again, not a simple recommendation, many pieces involved, but people need the, first of all, internet access, tools and digital literacy skills to be able to hop on to a telehealth visit. But there um, also, so this means, you know, making sure that telehealth services are accessible to everybody who needs it. The other thing, bilingual services. Um, those are often difficult to access. Another recommendation is increase funding and distribution of free and low cost assistive technology. There isn't enough available in the community um, labs, com community computer labs, um, and there we need more resources in this area. And also in training staff how to use the assistive technology so they can work with participants who enter the labs. So I'm going to turn this over right now to Marie Jobling because uh, we've put, painted a picture for you. Um, now we want to talk about what's happening on the ground right now. All right. Thank you very much. Well, I think the first thing I want to do is th thank Cecile and her team of people who put together this incredible piece of research um, and the organizations that funded it. Um, you know, it'll be a long time before we have anything as detailed, as specific, um, targeted to all of the communities that we want to know more about and want to be able to serve. So uh, a special thank you to Cecile and, uh, and folks who helped make this report possible. Um, and I think one of the things we're looking to do kind of all together is figure out how to continue to take it on the road. Um, so what you have learned today, um, some of which you probably already knew, um, there's a lot of communities who don't have a clue, a lot of policymakers who don't have a clue. So we do want to take this on the road. Um, but as often happens, you know, you have a, a wonderful plan uh, with recommendations, and in this case, an incredible amount of data. Um, but then where's the money to, to actually implement some of what's being uh, asked for? So we are launching another Keep Us Connected campaign. Uh, we're calling it the Pandemic Edition because, well, there's just more reason now to be able to do it. Um, Marie, would you slow down? speak a little slower? Thank you so yeah, much. Sorry. I, I, thank you. I'm so excited here. Um, so I hope, so you got the thank you part. Um, so now, um, as we go forward, we're looking to launch a new Keep Us Connected campaign. Uh, we're calling it the Pandemic Edition because it is really the most needed of all the campaigns that we've done around this issue. Um, and we're targeting those things that were mentioned here um, as being critically important, free or low-cost internet, free or low-cost devices and assistive technology, telehealth, training and technical support in multiple languages, um, creating a clear pathway for people to find digital inclusion resources and public technology hubs. Um, and um, if we go to the next slide here, be able to see that um, as a campaign, we're trying to make the tools available um, on the Dignity Fund uh, website, which is sfdignityfund.org. And when you go to that site, you'll see on the right-hand side, there is a menu of uh, features that make the website uh, more accessible. So you can uh, access a screen reader, increase the contrast, improve the text size, and make a number of other adaptions to make it as accessible as possible. 
The first step in our campaign uh, is a, a online petition um, that is now available on that website in English, Chinese, Spanish, and Tagalog. So if everybody who is watching this afterwards can go to that website and click the link and add one more signature, that would be fabulous. We also have a flyer that's available for download that details all of the money requests that we're building into the city's uh, uh, budget justice commission uh, count budget justice coalitions ask um, and that we're working to um, sort of organize uh, advocacy for over the next few months. So for anybody who wants to get more involved in the advocacy portion of this, uh, you can in email info at sfdignityfund.org or call us at 415-821-1003 extension 115. So again, thank you so much. And we're so pleased that Cecile is here who can answer probably any question that you have about the data and the report. And she'll thank talk you, slower. Thank I'm you, sure. Carla. Yay. And I'm here available. Again, this is Cecile Puretz. I was the... Um, program manager who oversaw the design and, and implementation of the citywide needs assessment. Um, and I'm, as uh, Carla also mentioned, I'm currently serving in my role uh, as assistant director of disability access and inclusion at UCSF. And I'm available um, if anybody has questions. Thank you for three of you and I'm going to ask for Hello, um, cousins, if you have any questions, please raise your hand and I will call you one by one. I see Helen and then I go to Oakwood after. Helen, go ahead. Thank you, Alex. Uh, and thank you, Marie and Cecile and Carla for uh, the good work. I'm curious, uh, were there any findings that surprised you? Hi, Helen. Thank you. This is Cecile. So I think when we set out to do, I, I just wanted to start off by saying that when we set out to do this study, it was really, really important for us to center the knowledge and expertise of those who are most impacted in the design of the study. So I think that really contributed to the diversity um, of folks that we were able to survey. Um, so I think that that was always a surprise as well is that we were able to reach, I mean, even when we look at the language, a percentage of folks um, whose primary language is ASL or American Sign Language to see a good representative sample. Of course, that means there's still a lot more work to do and how to reach the community. But I also just wanted to thank Orchid Sasuni, who served as a community advisor who helped us reach um, folks in the community. Um, also, um, you know, surprising, I think, also during a pandemic, how do we survey people about digital, um, about their barriers to digital inclusion? when only the main me method is online surveys. So I think, you know, really how do we adjust our community organizing strategies and surveying strategies to reach people where they're at? Um, so that was also um, a really important lesson and takeaway is, is how to think about 
um, working with our um, single room occupancy hotels with housing organizers, um, making sure to go into neighborhoods um, that maybe have historically not been um, listened to or heard as much. Um, so I think that those were some important, I think the transition age youth as well is that we heard from a lot of transition age youth and veterans. The only thing I'll add to that is also the telehealth barriers. You know, when we further, and, and part of the reason why we made this data publicly available as well on the webs on the Thriving in Place website is that we really want to encourage more, um, more um, research into this data and to further look at the intersections um, of race, um, language, veteran status, housing, income, age, um, and uh, digital inequality. So I think, um, you know, when we, we looked at that data and saw that Latinx community members were experiencing even higher disparities and higher barriers to telehealth, um, that was a real signal to us that we need to be looking at this as an intersectional issue. Thank you for that question. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, go ahead and then I go over to Tiffany Upton. Yes, I just want to say thank you to Cecile for really starting this project. I know it was not an easy one. I know you had to gather quite a lot of people um, to get respondents. And I think it's very interesting. There was an article recently regarding telehealth and the impact on people of diverse communities, BIPOC folks. I think this is true um, across the country. They're seeing disparities. And we have um, in the deaf community, people are using video remote interpreting, which is very different from video, the video relay service. And doctors typically wanna contract very specifically with certain providers versus others that may not be who the deaf consumers prefer. And another barrier is, for example, um, on Treasure Island, it's a continual um, lack of consistent electricity is causing a lot of issues for individuals with how to access uh, whatever is provided through to them through the internet or through other things. So especially for individuals who live in SROs or are otherwise low income, access is such a big issue. And then again, when it comes to big corporations and their technologies, I think, for example, AT&T is providing or transitioning to providing ISPs. And we can't be more specific, but there are local ISPs here in San Francisco that potentially could be looked into in terms of providing access on a more local basis. These larger companies, the walls that we hit with them are quite challenging, especially for folks with low income. It's a real challenge to have that already small SSI check or SSDI check um, go to covering such an essential service as internet. So there's really no way, right, for us to empower people to ask for a discount with these larger companies versus these more local companies 
local ISPs that can help with that, that might be a way to something we can invest in that would help make more sense for our low income residents. And then for deaf blind individuals, um, often they're very underemployed and it's very difficult for them to even get the equipment that they need to access their computers to get it um, in working order and get it replaced when needed iPhones every few years need to be replaced. Um, all of these things can also be considered when we are surveying individuals around technology. I know there's a lot to cover. Um, so I did want to really first mention um, how much work I know you did and what an impact this has had uh, around people's access. So thank you. Uh, it's really mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, trying, trying to keep it short. <laughs> if I could just uh, make a quick uh, comment. Thank you so much, Orchid. Because I and I think sort of moving forward, I think it's absolutely critical that in our digital inclusion efforts in the city of San Francisco is to really um, actively consult and include um, deaf and hard of hearing community members and deaf blind community members in the design of our programs and sitting in and being in leadership positions really um, is absolutely critical because <clears throat> being a person who's hearing did not always um, understand and, and I think a lot of people who are designing these um, digital inclusion programs may not have the nuanced insight and lived experience um, that deaf and hard of hearing folks do have. So I think I thank you, Orchid, for your leadership and to the connections that you made with the community to understand what what barriers people are actually experiencing. And one other thing I would add is perhaps partnering with. Uh, what is it, the California Telephone Access Program, CTAP, um, they have funding that potentially you could partner with them to see how it's used for seniors in particular who are losing their hearing and are no longer able to access a telephone without assistive technology. So that may be um, something that might, you might find useful. It's public funding, just something to keep in mind. Okay, I'll wrap it up for the next person now. <laughs> Thank you. Now we go with um, Tiffany. Hello, hi Cecile. Um, congratulations on your new role. Um, and thank you, Marie and Carla and Cecile for the presentation. I know um, uh, my involvement in the SF Tech Council, I've, I've had access to see it come to fruition. Um, and so this question actually isn't as much about the report, but is more about the outreach. And so I think one of the things that was really impressive about this, Cecile, was the way that you were able to tap into not only the intersections that exist within the disability community, but also reach some parts of our community that are harder to reach. And so I was wondering if like that process of how you did the outreach was like documented anywhere so that we can use that as a model, not only for us at the MDC, as we think about how we can do better outreach as well. Thank you so much, Tiffany, um, for, for that comment. Um, 
and just sort of seeing sort of the the power behind the methodology and um, I would say sort of one of um, in terms of addressing your question around is it documented in the report we talk about the role that our community advisors play and we also um, so that was sort of the first step is identifying a diverse cross-section of people that were all paid um, to be on our advisory committee to help sort of um, guide and steer the, re uh, the outreach. <clears throat> Through that, we also designed a number of different sort of multi, um, multimodal approaches um, to distributing the survey. So that was a piece of it too. Um, as Carla mentioned in Braille, large print, um, digital, phone-based. And then we also really prioritized language access. <clears throat> Since we know that sort of there are a lot of existing barriers around language and digital inclusion. Um, it also, um, it, partnerships were huge as well. We partnered um, with one city agency, a number of city agencies. One um, was the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigration Affairs, OSEA. And they have a really wonderful uh, community ambassador model where they train and, and pay community uh, ambassadors who are from those communities um, to conduct public outreach, to connect people to resources. Um, and so um, those folks were paid as well um, to help support us in SROs and a lot of our outreach to the unhoused population was conducted in that way. So that is definitely a, was a really informative model um, to help us start thinking about what a digital navigators program might look like um, and how outreach sort of during a, a crisis or pandemic and how we take those lessons and continue applying them moving forward. Um, so also just wanted to thank all the housing organizers, people working in SROs, and people in the disability community who really helped connect us to areas of San Francisco. One example is in Visitation Valley, um, uh, I, John Aisha at the Samoan Community Development Center. And I think a lot of our outreach requires us to go into the community safely to meet with community leaders who are trusted in those communities. So I really attribute the success of this project um, to, to those community leaders. So I hope that answers some of your question. Thank you, yeah. Tiffany. Thank you. Are there any questions? I go to to the staff. Are there any staff member has questions at this time? Nicole? Thank you, Alex. Um, I wanted to reiterate my thanks to our presenters here and especially to Cecile for um, all of your work on the survey itself and to Marie and to Carla for moving it through the next uh, steps. Um, for members of the public, especially, I wonder, I, I know we've we've presented these or you've presented these as kind of the top five aggregate issues. Uh, what did you see in the report that you would elevate as the most singular issue for people with disabilities? I wonder if you could reiterate that again. I know a lot of our community is also, are also older adults, but when you specifically look at issues facing people with disabilities in terms of technology, was the greatest reported barrier that assistive technology access, 
or were there other things? I'm, I'm just wondering if you could maybe illuminate um, a little bit more specific to disability uh, to the degree that you're able to, um, and maybe a few of the things related to the disability community in particular that maybe didn't make it into the top five, but are still critically uh, important that we look at as a city. That's a great question. Thank you, Nicole. Um, sure. So I, I mean, I could start by by talking a little bit more about. Um, I mean, one one thing that really stood out to me, specific to transition age youth with disabilities, is also you know when we're thinking about a lot of digital inclusion programs um, are geared or designed um, perhaps for older adults um, and adults. I would say for older adults. Um, and I think there's a large chunk of the population of transition age youth um, who are sort of left out of that conversation, mm -hmm. especially as it relates to employment. So we did find that that is, you know, a significant piece of, of access, having access to technology, consistent and high quality. Um, you know, if, if that's not in place, then how are young transition age youth accessing employment, education, um, and digital literacy trainings that are really customized to their needs and to their lived experiences? So, you know, hearing from, you know, you, um, Larkin um, Street Services and also, you know, of people who are chronically homeless or experience chronic homelessness, residents of SROs with disabilities and veterans as well. So we learned quite a bit um, from justice involved um, veterans with disabilities. So I think really moving forward, I think it really highlights the importance of connecting with veteran services, um, connecting with transition age youth services. And then as you mentioned, the assistive technology piece, and, and I think, um, you know, as, as, as Orchid Sasuni was mentioning, really the, the, all the different ways that assistive technology is a critical piece. So it's, it's one thing to have a computer and internet connection, but if you don't have the AT hardware and software, and then the training and, and even knowledge that those options are available to you, um, then how can one maintain, um, connect meaningfully um, and effectively with the community? So um, I think, and just sort of the incredible, um, the last thing I'll say on that is just the incredible wealth of knowledge that exists in the disability community around um, and organizing around mutual aid, how to um, access resources around technology. Um, and there's tremendous knowledge there. And I think the importance of continuing to tap into that and to um, employ people with disabilities in leadership positions to help design these digital equity programs and potentially these, these labs, um, technology labs in the future. Thank you. Can I, can I jump in on that in terms of assistive technologies? These SF Tech Council recently had a session with our access and learning work group and we had someone from the Lighthouse um, Jeffrey Colon and um, Mariel, um, Marisol Ferrantes from ILRC. And they did um, kind of like a quick overview of the kinds of assistive technologies that are available within their organizations. And we had tremendous participation in the work group that day. And um, 
a lot of interest in learning more. So this idea of training, not just lab instructors and lab staff, but really um, helping um, a much wider group of people um, aware of assistive technologies and what's out there. Um, I think that's a big piece of it because there is some stuff there and people don't know how to uh, refer or get to it or any of those things. That's great. I, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I just really encourage as Community Living Campaign and the Tech Council continue to move forward with uh, promoting the findings mm -hmm. that we really highlight the unique findings about people with disabilities. We did such excellent outreach and, and we really reached members of our community who we've never reached before. And I'm, I'm so impressed by that. And I wanna make, and we do a good job of highlighting that part. So I wanna make sure we do equally as good of a job highlighting some of the disability specific findings that we, we what we learned and, um, and continue to use this model and this tool as a way to encourage everyone that this is the way that we should be doing research and outreach. And this is the way that we should be talking about and elevating disability specific concerns. So thank you very much for your work on this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nicole. Other, other staff member has question at this time. Before I turn into public comment, I have a question for Trevor. First of all, thank you for your work and thank you, Cecil, for coming back to give us the update. So, you guys that amazing job. Now what? Mm -hmm. Now, can you tell us, I know that there's a plan of getting access, getting this and that, but that's take time. Now, what, what I would like to know is that what has been done to mitigate the gap. Right now, as we speak, while this whole big project takes place. Thank you so much. Um, Marie, did you want to jump in and talk a little bit more about the budget campaign? Do that briefly. Um, it's just to say, you know, I learned so much even on this conversation, you know, and I think the point is um, raising this as an issue and being able to take the report around raises consciousness everywhere. But there's got to be an advocacy piece that says, okay, now you know this, you know, what are you going to do and how are you going to involve the communities as being leaders and employees and folks who really help shape the solution. So um, through the Dignity Phone Coalition, we, we are going to try to get as far as we can on, on that. Um, and it is a grassroots campaign. I will say that slower. It is a grassroots campaign. Um, and so we're hoping that if folks are interested, they will let us know through the website. But 
I'm not only talking about the money aspect, I'm talking about working for people, like giving access to people that possibly need it right now. That's what I'm trying to get at. I, I, I mean, you know, there are our organization and a number of others do have some ways uh, to provide support. Now we can hook people up with subsidized free internet. Um, we have a device uh, program where you get uh, new users and others access and they can keep the device if they're engaged. Uh, we have a, a abilities integrator uh, whose job it is to kind of keep us um, honest and make sure that we're doing everything we can to provide equal access. So, um, but it's a drop in the bucket in compared to what's really needed here. So um, the city spends an incredible amount of money on its own technology every year. Um, COIT is the group that manages that. We'll spend $54 million on the city side of technology to reach the community, but there's nowhere near as much money being provided to the community uh, to be able to connect from their end. Thank you, May. For that, I'm going to Alex, ask. through the chair. I, have, I just had one more question. Marie said something that raised a, a concern that I have. So I know that we we want to direct people to the website to participate in the campaign? How, where do we direct people who want to participate who do not have internet access? Yeah, that is, that is the issue, isn't it? Um, so I think we're working through um, a number of organizations to do the outreach uh, in person. Um, and looking for ways, you know, whether it's through, um, you know, government TV or other things where people can uh, connect and get information. Um, as things begin to open up a little bit, I know we're planning to hit every street fair we can um, to be able to talk with folks. Um, and, you know, the more organizations that help us kind of uh, reach folks and where there are resources now, hook them up. But if not, to make this a big issue for the city, you know, I think we just have to make it an issue. So, last one suggestion I came to find is that maybe we're trying to hospitalize and see which um, patient client consumer that might need devices and go from there. I know that still works right now to use yourself. Maybe you guys can tap on that department and see which people that need help. This is Todd. Now um, I'm going to open up to public comment um, take this open the public comment at this time. Okay. As a reminder to the public, if you want to make public comment and you're using the Zoom webinar platform, you can indicate your interest in making public comment by pressing on the raise hand icon. You can also make public comment uh, over the phone. You can dial star nine to raise your hand and you'll be prompted when it's your turn to unmute. If you want to have your public comment read by the clerk, you can write your public comment in the Q&A box in the, in the webinar platform. And with that, I do see that we have 
a couple members of the public who want to make public comment. So uh, we'll start with caller 4284. You've been permitted to unmute. Caller ending in 4284, you can unmute by dialing star six over the phone. So I've been, hello? Hello. Yeah, so I've been listening to the presentation and um, I appreciate the needs assessment done but I want to talk uh, about the infrastructure bill that has set aside a lot of money for high-speed internet. But we also need to impress upon the institutions like the hospitals that they need to create space, centers, where people who are challenged can go and get help. And this also involves the banking system, where a lot of the things are done um, digitally, but uh, people who are challenged are not given the opportunities to use uh, the technology. Uh, we have a small group that's working on a digital platform, and so we are open to helping uh, anybody who needs help. And I think so. Uh, we, we do have uh, some uh, large companies who are willing to help, but uh, they need a business plan. And I know there are small companies that want to help the physically challenged uh, and here comes the outreach. And we need to impress upon the city and county of San Francisco that they do spend a lot of money themselves. But as one of your members stated, they do not give sufficient resources to the community. So right now we are working on something. We are making headway. Uh, we are going to circumvent the city because we don't want to beg the city to and waste our time. But uh, I can tell you there are modems now that can be used, uh, much more powerful than the old modems. And there are companies willing to help. So I'm going to uh, go on your website and see if I can talk to somebody uh, from one of your presenters so that we can work together to go to a better place. I'm here in San Francisco. Uh, my name is Francisco da Costa, and I'm the Director of Environmental Justice Advocacy. And um, once again, I thank you for the needs assessment done. And now we need to have our goals, short-term goals and our long-term goals. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Are there other public comment at this time? Yes. Um, and Anon, you've been permitted to unmute. Hi, I'm a disability and civil rights activist. I post 
videos of ethical misconduct and corruption in San Francisco on a YouTube page called Disability and Activism in San Francisco. Uh, I appreciate the effort that was gone into the presentations today. I, for one, though, I'm a little confused. The agenda item, which I believe right now is agenda item six, was supposed to go over the Disability Cultural Center. Uh, if someone wants to clarify if that's coming up next, uh, that is the overwhelmingly desired thing that people wanted with the Dignity Fund. Uh, for those that don't know, the Dignity Fund was passed in 2016 by San Francisco voters to give millions and millions and millions of dollars to the city so that disabled people and seniors could live with dignity. Uh, and um, I would love to slow down, but unfortunately, uh, we don't get a lot of time to speak. So I will try to, but it's very difficult. Um, the public is not prioritized at these meetings. And it's always been uh, a bit of a shame that this council and the mayor's office on disability, which were created in the 90s to help facilitate communications between the community, are actually used uh, primarily for presentations. And so, you know, MDC just sits in their high chairs and you just watch city departments talk about how great things are. And things are not great. Things are really, really bad for disabled people. And these meetings are, they give me kind of a queasy feeling in my stomach because there's so much toxic positivity that happens in them. And we are being displaced in massive droves. Uh, according to the 2022 census, 5.7% of San Franciscans are people with disabilities. Uh, that is down drastically because now landlords are using COVID to intimidate and harass us by coming into our homes without wearing PPE. And MDC and MOD do nothing about this. Um, additionally, you know, we are supposed to have a, culture, a disability cultural center. There are fortunately cultural centers for all other minority groups in San Francisco. There's an LGBTQ cultural center, a Filipino cultural center, uh, an African-American cultural center. There's a lot of senior community centers. There is nothing for disabled people. There is no place where we can go and get to know one another and communicate with each other. We have nothing for that. And voters gave millions and millions of dollars, taxpayer money to this city to create such a, such a place called a Disability Cultural Center. Uh, I have fought for public records requests to understand what is happening with that cultural center, why it has not started to be constructed, which should have happened many years ago at this point. Uh, the Dignity Fund, as mentioned previously, was passed in 2016. And so I would really appreciate an update because that's what we need. We need to stop living in isolation and stop being gentrified out of this city. And we need to be able to meet each other and coordinate and organize. I also wanna thank the people that presented here for actually mentioning people in SROs and low-income individuals. MDC and MOD usually completely ignores that demographic as well as the increasing rates of depression and suicide among our veterans and other disabled members. Uh, it's, it's a real struggle out here, folks. And um, it's nothing wrong with being a little bit sad when you present at the condition of disabled people in the city. We don't always have to pretend to be positive and upbeat and happy because things are really, really hard right now. That's it for my time. Thank you for coming. And I just want to be, um, clarify to, to the public that we are on item number five, which is keep us connected 2022 campaign and empowered SF tech needs assessment. After the break, we will have an update on the 
Disability Portrait Setting and Dignity Fund. Um, again, that would be after the concert Um, Take other any public comment at this time. I do not see any other uh, public commenters at this time. Thank you. Um, I just want I just want to thank Marie, sisters, and Carla for coming back, coming to to this body and give us an update. I hope this is um, the beginning of working together. And please come back and ask us for any help or support that the main need from and disability community again. Thank you for coming. Um, with that, we, the concert will take a 15 minute break. And after that break, we will have a presentation to by Kelly Simon is the director of um, Department of Disability and Aging Services would be talking to us regarding um, disability, cultural setting, and the Dignity Fund. With that, take a break, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Just a reminder, please return by 2.35. Thank you. Or, yes. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
And now we are continuing with our agenda with item number six, information item updates on disability cultural center and the dignity dignity fund presented by Kelly Demon Department of um, Disability and Aging Services. Hey, Kelly, nice seeing you again. So nice to see you, Alex. Thank you. Um, I just want to thank you all for giving me an opportunity to share a little bit about where we are and what we're doing around the Disability Cultural Center and the, um, the Dignity Fund. And I think there are some slides. John. So, okay, so. One moment, we just, um, do, do you need a presenter access, Kelly, or do it? I do not. I, I spoke with John um, and he was going to advance the slides, but um, so let's, we'll do, let's just wait for that to let the slides uh, go up. Okay. One moment. I can also speak to it and just make sure you all get the slides either way. It's fine. Let's work um, like 30 seconds and then you can proceed. Okay. Is that okay, Kendi? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure the stuff is working on it. <laughs> Thank I you just, for I, I want to confirm that we have access to them. I can't see uh, John Costi, so I'm I don't know um, if we're if we're working on it or not. Um, I, I would recommend. Um, this Debbie, is Debbie. I have um, access to the slides myself. Oh. And, um, and just setting it up on my machine right now. Thank you. Okay. That's I believe awesome. they're showing. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, we can move to the next slide. I'm first going to speak on the Disability Cultural Community Center. And um, yeah. So whenever you can move the slide, Debbie, that'd be great. Thank you. Okay, so we are working with the Kelsey Mercy Housing and- I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Kelly, one moment. Yes. I just wanna make sure we had full screen access and now we do. So oh. okay, please continue. Thank you so much, I'm sorry. It's totally fine. Uh, so we're working with the Kelsey Mercy Housing and MOD on various aspects of the project from the general footprint of the space to the development of the request for proposals to identify service uh, providers. The Longmore, you can go back. 
the Longmore Institute provided a comprehensive needs assessment, which included analysis of literature, resources, and models available, exploration of existing community and cultural centers in San Francisco and, and their external trends, in-depth surveys and focus groups among adults with disabilities and leaders from government, nonprofit, community, and advocacy organizations. In addition, Longmore identified a core committee of disabled leaders who worked collab, um, collaboratively with them. So the goals um, of this center, the Disability Community Cultural Center is a place where people with disabilities can gather access information and resources. Information and input will be gathered through the community engagement process. And as part of their work with the community, Longmore developed values, mission, and vision statements in order to guide the creation of this center. Those values, mission, and vision statements were incorporated into the request for proposals. So some of the guiding principles um, include creating a space for diverse people with disabilities to come together, advancing social and disability justice, celebrating disability culture, community, and pride, and providing information about and access to disability programs and services. And like I said, the request for proposals is currently under review um, by the Human Services Agency contracts. And um, so I can't really speak to what is in that request for proposals until it comes out. But I know there was a groundbreaking a couple weeks ago um, to start the construction. And um, so it is finally after a very long time underway. So we're pleased with that. Next slide, please. In terms of the Dignity Fund, um, as was um, mentioned earlier, this is based on a pro Proposition I in, um, that was passed in November 2016, and it does provide a set-aside of protected funding um, for services for um, older adults, adults with disabilities, and their caregivers. And um, so now here we are in year 2022. Um, uh, next slide, please. So it established $38 million um, of funding that was set aside that um, grows by $33 million um, over 10 years. And the way um, this, uh, the planning and funding cycle works, it's a four-year planning and funding cycle. And um, as many of you know, we just completed the community needs assessment, which happens every four years. And the goal of that is to see what we're doing, what we should be doing, what are the unmet needs among San Francisco's older adults and adults with disabilities. After we do the, um, after we do the needs assessment, um, after that is completed, then we um, do a services and allocation plan. And so the needs assessment identifies how uh, the funding will be allocated over the next four years based on what we find in the needs assessment. There is also um, the oversight and advisory committee that advises um, um, our department on the administration of the Dignity Fund um, to ensure that we are using that money in the way that it is planned and designed. Next slide, please. So, um, uh, 
So in terms of um, some of the initiatives that we um, look at um, and that we've been doing with the Dignity Fund, um, so more community service center programs. Um, there's been a lot of talk about um, caregivers and caregiver support and need for respite. Um, but also, as you all know, we're in a crisis in terms of the workforce. And so how do we reach them? Uh, and how do we um, get more people involved in the caregiving process? Um, then there's, I've already spoken about the cultural center, um, but how can we expand services for um, adults with disabilities, including the cultural center, um, including food, um, we do not provide housing, obviously, but we, um, you know, how can we um, ensure that we're providing all the resources that we can so that um, people can get proper housing? Um, and then also uh, around nutrition and support for um, people with chronic health conditions. And also the, our department works with veterans and how are we making sure that we're meeting the needs of veterans as well. And as we all saw during the pandemic, isolation is, um, is a real problem that um, I'm sure we all knew about prior to the pandemic but became really visible during the pandemic. So how are we combating that? And programs for our transgender and gender non-conforming people. And Lastly, how do we um, ensure that we're doing enough outreach to strengthen um, awareness of our existing services? And one of the things we will be doing is coming out with an online service directory. And we've been talking about this for several years, but it's really happening finally. And we understand that um, not everyone can reach us or has the ability to get online as we just heard, um, but that'll be one additional way that people can find out about our services, in addition to the fact that we are going to be doing more trainings for our providers, um, as well as internally for our staff to make sure we are, that everybody is clear on all of the different services that are operated throughout the city so that we're not just acting in, um, in our own little silo. Next slide, please. So I just thought I'd tell you a little bit about the needs assessment and how that went. Um, so we kicked it off in September. Between September and um, December, uh, there was um, amount, a fair amount of research and stakeholder engagement that was done. Um, we also, um, there's a big focus on equity. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that um, we are reaching out to the populations who, um, who need us most. We had a community survey, we did community forums, and we had focus groups and key informant interviews. We understand that obviously we did not reach everyone. It's a really short time frame, And of course, there were peaks and valleys happening um, with the pandemic. And, um, but I think with it all, we worked with a consultant um, and we did our best to reach as many people as we could to find out what people were thinking about and what issues were coming up. So we are um, just finishing the phase of completing the draft report, um, which offers findings and recommendations. Um, and I know that there will be a meeting on Monday 
um, to discuss um, the draft report. And that's with the um, Oversight and Advisory Committee on Monday. Next slide, please. So we have already shared the report um, with the Dignity Fund Service Provider Working Group. And as I mentioned on Monday, we'll be sharing it with the Oversight and Advisory Committee. In April, we'll share the final report uh, with stakeholders, and that will be through a joint hearing of the DOS Commission and the Dignity Fund Oversight and Advisory Committee on April 6th. In May, the DOS Commission um, will be voting on this report, and then in June, we'll um, present it to the Board, board of Supervisors for their um, approval as well. And I think that is about all I have for now, and I am happy to take questions. So if there are any questions, fire away. have one says orchid hi so hi um so i am orchid here and a great pre presentation uh and timeline i'm curious um the dignity fund does that include housing too that's my first question or is that separate for providing services okay so the answer to that first question is no, it does not include housing. The, um, my department, uh, Disability and Aging Services, provides services and not housing. Um, we, we recognize that um, housing is a key barrier for many people. Um, and what we do is we are working with um, other departments and trying to find out what is happening. We are in a severe housing crisis, among other things. Um, but what we try to do is make sure that once, that if people are housed, they're getting the proper support that they need to stay housed. Okay. And so thank you for that. That's really good to know. Mm -hmm. um, I know that it's not, it's not easy. No. Um, part of the problem with this is that um, there is a gap in that those services. So I'm hoping that the city can really work on um, collaborating on not fixing, but working on revamping access, I should say, to all of that. Um, and I know it's a huge process and hopefully people with disabilities who are experienced homelessness, homelessness, obviously there's a large population. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that you can give them support and services, social workers, case managers, access uh, folks, um, NAAA programs, um, they need to include access as well. So hopefully um, you're, you're setting up that type of program. I realize that it's quite a problem. Um, the Dignity Fund, I'm hoping, will uh, keep going and are able to collaborate with all the departments um, because I do see gaps in access, obviously. Mm -hmm. So um, there, there's another place maybe where you can bridge that gap. So people who are really, really 
certainly familiar with uh, and, uh, some access access issues and people that aren't. So maybe they could bridge the gap between that area. Yes. Okay. I so appreciate your comments and wanted to just mention that our department did just finish. Uh, we completed a um, housing assessment, um, just which is a snapshot of where we are today in terms of um, older adults and people with disabilities. And it is it is upsetting as you can imagine. And from there, there'll be a full, there's gonna be a full um, assessment done that I think um, just recently get, got kicked off and it will take the next several months. Like, so what, so he, we know what the picture is, but what are we gonna do to improve this dismal picture? And that's where we are now. And that is a collaboration with multiple departments um, but the Board of Supervisors tasked um, DOS to, you know, hold everybody's hand and get this um, get this um, project going. So I'm hoping I will be able to come back in a few months and um, let you know the results of that uh, report as well. That would be great. Yeah. I also um, just want to add that I know there are it's not just that there are gaps in services, but there are gaps in what people know and what services are available. And that is something that we are really working on hard right now because, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's not That's right. And it's right. And it's not just um, the users of the services who don't know. There are many people who are out there providing services but don't know what the person down the street who's also providing services, what those services are. And through our online directory, um, through these trainings that we'll be doing both internally and externally, we're hoping to um, lift everybody up so we can all see what everyone is doing. And hopefully that'll help a little bit. Thank you. Thank Great, you. and thank oh, you. Okay. Um, are there any other um, member asked question. Number All right. Um, uh, member, Nicole, do you have a question? Uh, yes, I do. Thank you so much, uh, Kelly, for coming today and uh, for presenting about the Cultural Center and the Dignity Fund. <clears throat> Regarding the Cultural Center, thanks for outlining where we are with the RFP. And uh, I know that Kelsey has just begun their groundbreaking. Do you have a sense that you're able to share around um, when we might be targeting a launch um, or an opening? Uh, so that's one question. And to what degree do you um, um, think that uh, virtual uh, uh, virtual connection will will be a part of the cultural center? I'm wondering if you're able to speak to that at all. Then I have a second question, but if you could answer those first for the okay. public, I think that would be great. So I'll answer the second question first. Um, the idea of the cultural center is to be both in-person and virtual. And the idea, um, so whoever is whoever is chosen 
um, as the vendor. Um, the thought is that people need to be able to, yes, meet in person, but also be able to meet um, in the virtual world because we understand that for many people, that's the only way and the best way for them to meet. So, so yes to that, there will be a lot of virtual opportunities as well. I cannot give you, unfortunately, an idea of, I don't have a time frame yet and I will have that when um, the RFP is actually released uh, and then we'll get an idea as to how long it'll take to actually open things up. So I'm sorry, I can't be more specific on that. Thanks for clarifying the timeline. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, and then towards the, um, towards the uh, DOS Commission mm -hmm. and the Mayor's Disability Council, mm -hmm. potentially collaborating or working together on future projects or elevating concerns, what would you suggest would be a, a good mechanism for that or what would be most helpful um, for in the way that the Mayor's Disability Council might be able to support the DOS Commission and vice versa? So um, thank you for that question. So, I, you know, initially what is happening is that Director Vaughn and I meet very regularly to make sure we are on the same page about things that are happening. I also think that there is confusion and probably some concern around what the Mayor's Office on Disability does versus what um, uh, the what DOS does. So I can see in the future that a joint meeting would be really great for us to all know who's doing what. I also think it's it would probably be helpful for me or someone on my staff to come here on a quarterly basis to let you know what we are doing and vice versa, someone um, from this council to come to ours. I do think there is a lot of room for us to be doing things together and having each other's back. And that. Um, and I, these two departments have been working together a lot long before I got here and that continues. Um, but I do think um, it's a great idea for us to, um, you know, maybe put it more out in the open and have some joint meetings so we can all be on the same page. MOD would definitely support that, and I hope that council would consider that level of participation as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Um, before I open up to the public, I have a question to, to you. <laughs> and I would love to have a, um, a drawing session or mm -hmm. Kind of um, what I do when I'm on in home support services. Today, kind of um, I can't pronounce the word, but a link to to the to departments. Yes. Um. So my question regarding the culture center. Um, I know that um, it's still welcome focus, but do you know if it's going to be like a Robert campus or any type like that, or is it more 
of course, accessibility mm -hmm. aspect on it. And um, can you talk more about that aspect? Mm -hmm. And then can it have a timeline? Mm -hmm. So um, thank you. Uh, so first of all, there's only one Ed Roberts campus. And so this will not be the Ed Roberts campus. Uh, this is going to be located on Van Ness and Grove. And the Kelsey is putting uh, affordable housing on top. And it is on the main level that um, where this cultural center will be located. Um, so uh, so I know they just broke ground on it. So I imagine it'll be some time before it'll be complete. And also we have to get the RFP out so that we can uh, get a vendor in there um, to figure out, you know, exactly what will it be on that ground floor. We know it's going to be a meeting space. We know it will have to have all of the technology available or um, so that there can be virtual as well as in person. We know that it will be completely accessible. What we don't know is if there will be a cafe in there as well, or um, a bookstore, or what we don't. I don't. I cannot tell you exactly what it is going to look like. Um, I do know the project is moving forward, and once the RFP is out, I'll be able to speak more broadly about um, exactly what it will look like. But it is not. It is not a gigantic space, but we also know that this will be the first of its kind in the nation. So that's something. Um, so we want to make sure um, it serves um, it serves its purpose and functions well, and it meets um, the needs and dreams and desires of the people it is meant to serve. Thank you. Thank you. Just for clarification for the council and, and for the public about the RFP process, yeah. part of the reason that Director Dearman isn't able to speak yet around the request for proposals is because, because uh, entities or individuals are going to be potentially applying to uh, be, the, be the entity that, that runs the cultural center because that process hasn't begun yet because it's in contracts i just want i wanted to be transparent that that's the reason that we can't be specific about dates yet but as soon as the request for proposal is is out and ready and has been approved by contracts for public dissemination we'll be able to provide more information thank exactly you thank you thank no, you um, Going to open up to the public comment. Please open the comment to the public. Okay. As a reminder to the public, if you are using the Zoom webinar platform and would like to make public comment, you can press the raise hand icon to raise your hand. And you can also Write your comment in the Q&A box to be read by the clerk. Um, if you're calling in by phone, you can dial star nine to raise your hand and you'll be prompted when it's your turn to comment. And so for our first commenter, um, 
we have Anon. You've been permitted to unmute. Hi, yes. I'm a civil rights and disability activist, and I post YouTube's uh, videos on YouTube under Disability and Activism in San Francisco. Uh, it's great news to hear that the Disability Cultural Center ground is being broken and that we're actually going to have a cultural center. That's a breath of fresh air because it was looking like it was in jeopardy for a while. Um, I am heartened by the presentation that was given, but I'm a little concerned by who was giving it. Uh, Kelly Dearman used to be the executive director of the in-home support services. While she was there, she was incredibly oppressive to the disabled people that needed uh, home service and, and needed care providers to help us. Uh, Kelly Dearman actually told me specifically, uh, directly, that she would refuse to have a community space for disabled people to organize and solve our own problems and our own issues that we were struggling with in the in-home support services system uh, so that the idea to, to lower the burden on staff and to give more agency to disabled people. Kelly Dearman told me that this was not appropriate because the disabled people would not be able to be monitored. I repeat, Kelly Dearman said that we could not have a community space at the in-home support services center because we would not be able to be monitored. I don't know what she meant by that, but it concerned me. Additionally, Kelly Dearman also refused to let me meet with the deputy director, Eileen Norman, of the in-home support services uh, department. And I don't know why she refused that. I actually had an appointment. She canceled it and outright blocked me from interacting with public officials. Uh, this really concerns me because the idea of a community space and a cultural center is exactly that, right? That disabled people can meet, share concerns, share uh, ideas, have community, have culture, right? And if Kelly Dearman is still operating from that space of monitoring and censorship and trying to make sure that there's no criticism or any sort of analysis that doesn't fit in line with her worldview, then that could be incredibly oppressive and could actually sabotage this cultural center. So I'm hoping in the years that have passed that Kelly Dearman has had a change of heart and maybe views this a little bit differently. Um, I, I, I ask and encourage that this new space have community space for disabled people to not just be limited to organizations representing their own worldview and their own services, but to actually have a space where disabled people can get to know each other, can socialize, and yes, maybe even have a criticism. Criticism is okay. And part of being a good public official is being able to accept criticism with grace. And I hope that you're all willing to do that. And I ask that these things be added to the Cultural Center. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other public comments at this time? Yes. Uh, our next public commenter, caller ending in 4284, you've been permitted to unmute. So it's very important to know that this is San Francisco. And here in San Francisco, the disability movement is very strong. So it hurts me to hear 
from the previous caller that um, as he was trying to do something positive for the challenge community or the disability community, he was prevented and hurdles were put in his way. Let me remind everybody that the federal government, and we did have a president, FDR, who put it in writing. So challenge people are backed by federal laws, ordinances that help them. So we do not want people saying one thing in the presentation, talking about needs assessment, but failing to have in their heart the right type of intention to help the challenge population. If your heart is not in the right place, I repeat, if your heart is not in the right place, you cannot take anybody to a better place. Now, my name is Francisco da Costa. I often go to City Hall to fight for those who need help. And I'm challenged. And I do what I can. So I'm happy that we have a disability cultural center through the Dignity Fund. Whatever is happening within the Dignity Fund is taking a long time. We need more transparency and accountability. And in the previous agenda, we spoke about communication. Another needs assessment was done. So now we have two needs assessments. It's time for action. And the way you get action is by outreach, getting the disabled community together so that they can voice their opinion. They can tell you what they, they do need and what they do not need. Also, we know we cannot address all the issues, but it is a fact that many of the challenged people in San Francisco are treated with disdain. Many have no place to live. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other public comments at this time? Um, there are no other public commenters at this time. Thank you. Kelly, again, thank you for coming. It's good to see you. I hope that we will see you again, and I'm looking forward to working with your commission and your department and see we can improve our community and the services that we provide. Thank you so much. Um, I really look forward to working with you all and um, I will definitely keep you informed on what is um, happening specifically around the, the uh, Disability Cultural Center. And we'll figure out how soon we can get a joint meeting of your commission and um, the DOS commission. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Take care, everybody. Bye. Have a good weekend. You too.
With that, we are going to item number seven, information item support from the Mayor's Disability Council. Um, Recording stopped. I'm sorry, Alex, did you say uh, go ahead? Um, I think I heard recorded. Stop. Do we need to record it again? This is, it's broadcast and recorded through SFGov TV. Okay. Go ahead, record, please. Okay. So, hi, everyone. So, today I'm going to focus primarily on uh, legislation and that's that is current and pending and some recommendations for what the mayor's disability council may want to consider at future meetings for members of the public who are wishing to engage with aspects of this report please contact mod uh, by phone at 415-554-6789 or MOD via our email address, our general email address, which is mod at sfgov.org. Also, you may join our distribution list or find this report following the meeting uh, at our webpage, which is sfgov.org backslash mod. So the legislative items that I wanna focus on today, there are several. One is JFK Drive, which as you know, we heard about in the last meeting. I wanted to announce the referral number for you and for members of the public who want to follow along with the proceeding. That referral number for JFK Drive, Park Code, Golden Gate Park Access and Safety Program, Slow Streets Closures is 220. Two six one. That referral number is going to uh, tra track the proceeding. Um, um, if you would choose to follow it, the proceeding is currently in a referral status. It's been referred under the Board of Supervisors' thirty-day rule to the Land Use and Transportation Committee. As you know from the last meeting, this legislation forwards the recommendations of SFMTA and Recreation and Parks to the Board of Supervisors for our consideration. Last Thursday, the staff report was accepted unanimously by the SFMTA Board with recommendation to revisit taxi provisions and paratransit access, and the Recreation and Parks Commission also forwarded with a positive recommendation by a majority vote, although it was not unanimous. The um, Mayor's Office on Disability continues to advise SFMTA, Recreation and Parks, and the Mayor's Office on the architectural and programmatic accessibility improvements. And we continue to urge all involved to provide solutions that exceed requirements and advance disability equity. And in addition, MOD continues to elevate the individual concerns from the disability community from members who are both opposed to the continued closure to private vehicles and members of the disability community who support the closure. 
as the council knows, your resolution uh, that you uh, drafted is a conditional one, um, conditional upon uh, additional accessibility improvements. So I really strongly urge you to help uh, and advance and, and keep monitoring the resolution. Um, and uh, when you do have offers um, to uh, consult and share your opinion and the opinions of the disability community, that you continue to do so. Uh, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate uh, your help. It's critically important. Supervisor Chan has also requested uh, a consult, as you know, with both the Mayor's Office on Disability and the Council, as was mentioned in the uh, co-chair report earlier in this meeting. The next legislative referral item that I want to address once more is the shared spaces referral number, which is 211301, limits on fines for shared spaces violations. Uh, it is at the Board of Supervisors for final consideration, and it will maintain the ability to issue fines for access violations, and it is expected to pass with full adoption. I do want to encourage the council to consider hearing an enforcement update at an upcoming public meeting, however, um, so that uh, I know the community, the disability community is concerned about the, uh, the ability for the city to enforce the shared spaces program, access violations. So I would encourage you to uh, keep that on your agenda. Uh, the next thing I wanted to mention is um, moving to um, some uh, COVID resources. And uh, there, there's one that's on a deadline. So I want to mention that. And then finally, I'm going to move to some recommendations for uh, future topics. So I just wanted to remind folks that the state COVID rent help and uh, eviction program, the eviction protection program, Information is available at sf.gov backslash rent help, one word. The deadline to apply for eviction protection is March 31st. We have mentioned this in previous reports, but it is timely that I mentioned it again. So March 31st, if you're interested in looking at state COVID rent help and eviction protection, information for yourself, again, that is uh, posted at sf.gov backslash rent help. Also, there is information available regarding the availability of the COVID-19 vaccine and including the uh, home vaccination program that is posted online and available by calling the COVID Resource Center. The COVID Resource Center number, once again, is 628-652-2700. And the uh, home uh, program vaccination program is at uh, sf.gov backslash get vaccinated your home or work event. This will be, the link will be posted as part of the report, but you can also go to uh, Get Vaccinated SF, and then there are links that uh, provide more information. 
<clears throat> or again, you can call 628-652-2700. Now, finally, I'm going to move to some um, items that you may want to uh, consider for future agenda items along with a, a few other updates. I mentioned in detail um, the proceeding around JFK Drive. I did want to elevate, however, for the council that there are there is a concern also uh, that we have heard through MOD around uh, the Great Highway and continuation of slow streets in general. And so the council may want to consider this as a broader item for a, a future meeting. I've already mentioned uh, shared spaces enforcement. We heard that in public comments also today. Um, hybrid meeting, hybrid public meeting participation has now begun. And um, you may recall last fall, the Community Alliance of Disability Advocates or CADA sent a, layer, a letter to the mayor's office and the city administrator and uh, around maintaining access for public meetings. And now that they have launched, it would be uh, good timing to consider uh, hearing about how it's going so that we're making sure that we're ensuring disability access and uh, appropriate civic participation for, for all. Next, I want to recommend that the council think about um, our citywide web accessibility policy, which is currently just beginning a dissemination phase uh, so they can learn about the electronic policy and how to track the effort, especially pertaining to accessibility remediation plans, training, and citywide compliance. We've had, uh, the next topic I want to mention is the Summer Together program and summer camp programs in San Francisco for kids and families of kids with disabilities. Uh, we have had a productive year in that regard in really being able to advance in partnership with the Department of Children, Youth and Families, the San Francisco School District, and some of our colleagues in recreation and parks, a training program that helps summer camp providers understand how to provide uh, access for kids with disabilities so that they can participate in summer camp. There's a series of um, trainings of which uh, MOD helped to coordinate uh, one of them um, that was very well attended by all uh, camp providers. Uh, and we're hoping that this education and awareness, although it needs to continue, will make for an, a better uh, summer camp experience for our families uh, this year. The council may want to consider hearing about this as well. Finally, I just wanna mention um, a few more things to keep an eye on um, and to consider uh, the, um, the council previously uh, was involved in the waste reduction or the plastic straws ordinance. You might wanna track that one. Efforts continue to be underway around uh, outreach regarding compliance of the Accessible Business Entrance Program, which is also legislation. And finally, um, the, um, the Better Market Street Accessibility Improvements Update is something that we've heard some uh, 
interest from the public and wanting to know more about as well. And circling back to the very beginning of this meeting, I just want to support um, uh, ORCID's comments and the, encourage the council to consider the reinstitution, uh, the reinstitution of the Mayor's Disability Council Beacon Award for a member of the disability public. That concludes my report for today. Thank you. For that, I'm moving to item number eight, correspondence. And any correspondence to pop to merit in this discussion at this time. Um, this is Deborah Kaplan. Um, there have been several letters received that we have forwarded to you regarding um, the closure of JFK Drive. Um, we're not gonna read them verbatim because several of them are very long. They are um, consistent with many of the comments that you heard from members of the disability community <clears throat> at the last meeting and to some extent at this meeting. Um, uh, and they are all expressing concerns with the proposal for the permanent closure of JFK Drive, mostly focusing on parking issues and inadequacy of some of the measures that have been taken or discussed. And that's um, the correspondence that's been received. Thank you, Debbie. Um, uh, through the chair, Debbie, has, have all of the correspondence been forwarded to the, the council co-chairs yes. for a full review? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now we are going to Adam Demain, general public um, say, can you please open the meeting for the general public comment? Okay. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes. And um, as mentioned before, the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. And um, to make public comment within the Zoom webinar platform, you can click on the raise hand button to raise your hand. You can also raise your hand on the phone um, by dialing star nine. And if you want to write your comment, you can type it into the Q&A box and ask that it be, and it will be read by the clerk. I do see that we have one member of the public right now who would like to make public comment. So um, Alita, you've been permitted to unmute. Thank you very much. 
My name is Alita Fisher. I am the advocacy chair for the San Francisco Unified School District's Community Advisory Committee for Special Education. And I would just like to commend the work of the Mayor's Office of Disability, Reckon Park, San Francisco Unified School District to help actually raise the issues of families of children with disabilities and um, the struggles in finding summer programming. I really cannot thank you enough for all the work that's being done to ensure that we have inclusive camps. Um, there's nothing more demoralizing than to sign your child up for a camp along with their non-disabled peers, only to get that call midway through day one asking you to come pick them up because we're sorry, we just can't support your kid here. Um, and it's devastating for our children. So thank you for all the work that you are doing. Um, and obviously it continues. We've got plenty of private camps who still do this. So we're excited that the commitment of Reckon Park is there to make all camp camps inclusive. Um, and also there are many of our students who qualify for extended school year, which is five to six weeks over the summer. And that only runs until 1 p.m. So there are many families who still struggle with providing um, options for their students after extended school year um, programming ends at noon or one. Um, and it'd be lovely if there were some camps where we could, um, our kids could show up at 1230, 130, whatever, and still be included along with their peers. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. We have We do. One moment while I unmute them. Okay, caller ending in one zero zero three. You've been permitted to unmute. Hello, this is Will Railing again for Accessible San Francisco. And I just uh, would like very briefly uh, to comment on uh, Director Bones' presentation on potential uh, future agenda items. Uh, I'm very impressed with the list. Uh, it really underscores uh, how much is going on at any given time in the city and county that affects accessibility and and people with disabilities in general. Uh, and uh, it's really, I guess, what they call a target-rich environment uh, for you. Uh, you. You know, these would all be great agenda items to, to consider. Um, but it's also really great that Director Bond gives you a update on pending legislation, um, including the reference numbers. Um, I think that's also very, that information isn't always so easy to find. So it's, it's very helpful uh, for all of us to get that as well. So uh, I just wanted to uh, speak in support of that item. And I'm not exactly clear how you actually decide as a group what, what items you will hear and, and when. Um, but again, it's just, uh, it's a great list of uh, really important agenda items. So I hope that you can get to them, as many of them as possible. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. I did, I did um, 
Publicum at this time. There are no other public commenters at this time. Thank you. Up right now on a discussion item, person members, comments, or announcements. Fellow council members, do you have announcements or comments? This is Orchid. I have no announcements or comments. This morning, let the public know that we tend to have a, um, a planning meeting after this public meeting held to discuss a virtual um, public meeting items. Just want to let the public know how we decide which item would be to the next public meeting. Uh, with that, I want to as the last comment before I adjourn the meeting. With that, I just want to say thanks. Go ahead, Orchid. Alex, this is Orchid. Yes, one more very, very brief item, uh, just generally. I want, uh, really want to acknowledge this film Coda that received um, some awards, um, really beautiful representation of the deaf community. So very thrilled that that has happened. Um, and we hope that this win will help Hollywood see that the disability community can be well represented in media. And uh, interpreters asking for clarification. We hope that they'll win an additional award this month. So cross your fingers. The movie is called Coda and is about a deaf family. So wish you all a wonderful week and weekend. I am planning to watch it this weekend or the next um, that um, um, movie. Um, I just before we. Again, I just want to say give thanks, a big, huge thanks to uh, the um, to M MOD staff, especially the tech, for speaking a lot. Um, um, my, my country, my fellow um, council members, um, the interpreters and SF Golf TV. I hope I'm not missing anyone else. But with that, I call it a German ending. Oh, bef before that, the next meeting would be on April 15 at 1 to 4 p.m. So now we can finally adjust the meeting.
Thank you, guys. Bye.